Our scripture text for the sermon today will be John 5 and verses 28 and 29. I must confess that uh, when I was preparing this sermon, I did not know uh, what Pastor Vondolowski was going to preach to you this morning. And so this is entirely of God's arrangement that you would hear about the second coming of our Lord and then the resurrection of the dead in the morning and the evening of the same day. So to uh, set it up with a bit of the context, uh, I'm going to start back in uh, verse 19. What's happening here in John chapter 5 is that the Lord Jesus has healed a man, and he was accused of sinning when he healed that man, if you can believe that, because he healed him on the Sabbath day of the Jews. And the Lord, in verse 17, made a comment that my father is working until now, and I am working. Um, in other words, God continues to do good things for people on the Sabbath. It's appropriate for me to heal on the Sabbath too. But that caused the Jews to seek to kill him all the more, it says, because he was clearly, by calling God my Father in this way, setting himself up as equal to God. Listen to how the Lord Jesus explains this, beginning in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man." Now we come to the verses that we'll be actually looking at in the sermon, where after the Lord Jesus speaks about his power to give spiritual life to the spiritually dead, now he goes on to speak of his power to give physical life to the physical dead. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Well, let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing before we open up this text. Our Father in heaven, there are some things in Scripture that have entered into our own experience and even as we read the word of God, there's an echo within our own hearts of a yes, yes, I have known that in my own life. And we thank you, Lord, that many of us here tonight can give testimony to the fact that we have indeed, by the power of Christ, passed from death to life, and we've been saved. Well, Father, what we're about to look at in your holy word is something of which none of us has any experience. It is a truly supernatural divine event, and therefore we pray that you would give us faith, that we might be enabled to believe that which no man has ever seen, nor will see until Christ returns, and that you would give us faith not just to believe it, Lord, but to receive it into our hearts, 
so that it would shape our lives and transform us from the inside out. Please help me as I preach. Lord, keep me faithful to the text. May I, may I not be up here, Lord, in any way to proclaim myself or my own thoughts or opinions. But Lord, come and be our teacher by the Holy Spirit. Open up your word to us and change us through it so that, Lord, we will all be prepared when Jesus returns. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, as I'm sure you heard this morning, that the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a day of unspeakable glory. It will be a day of glory for the Lord when he appears, uh, not just in some kind of a spiritual sense, uh, as if you know, manifesting himself to people's hearts. But when Jesus comes back and people will see him with their eyes, coming with the clouds of heaven, coming with the glory of his Father, coming in the, with the angels of heaven, coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that will be a day of terror for the wicked. The Bible tells us that every eye will see him and the wicked will wail in horror as they see their judge coming to earth. But it will be a day when, as Jesus says to his disciples, when you see this day drawing near, lift up your heads. Because for believers, it will be a day of joy and and hope and relief. A day when when all their hopes will be coming true. It will indeed be judgment day. But before the judgment takes place, There will be a summons so that all who are to be judged will, whether they want to or not, be sovereignly summoned to stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and receive his judgment. And that summons will take place, dear ones, through the resurrection of the dead. And in this passage, we have, in just two verses, a sort of a sketch or an outline of what will take place on that day in the resurrection of the dead. And here we have, really, what we can view as answers to a series of questions about the resurrection, where the Lord Jesus talks to us about the when, the who, the how, the what, and the why of the resurrection of the dead. So let's just walk through this passage and see what Jesus is teaching to us about this great event. First of all, he says in verse 28, with regard to the when, he says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. An hour is coming. In other words, this is something yet in the future. This is not something that Jesus accomplished at his first coming, but is something that he is looking to yet in the future, and yes, that we too are yet looking for in the future. Now, this expression, an hour is coming, or something similar to it, communicates that some momentous event is about to take place, something very important. This is the kind of language that Jesus used about his coming death and resurrection and his glorification when he would accomplish the complete salvation of his people. And this is the kind of language that Jesus uses of what he would accomplish in his first coming. You can see that a little bit earlier in the passage. Uh, Look back at verse 25 there and say, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And in the context of verse 24, when he talks about people passing from death to life, it's clear that Jesus is talking about a spiritual resurrection, right? People believing in him and through faith coming to life unto God, a new kind of life here in this world. But did you notice the difference between what he said in verse 25 and what he says in verse 28? In verse 25, he says, an hour is coming and is now here. But in verse 28, he just says, 
an hour is coming. In other words, it's not here yet. It's not here yet. There is a a yet future day when the resurrection of the dead will take place. Not the spiritual resurrection that happens when people are saved, but the physical resurrection of the dead. And the Lord gives us a little bit more information about exactly when this will take place in the next chapter. Look at chapter 6 and verse 39. Chapter 6 and verse 39 The Lord Jesus says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. In other words, that Jesus will save to the end all the people that the Father has given to him to save. But, he says, rather than lose it, I will raise it up when? On the last day. So now we have something more specific, don't we? Not only is this future resurrection something that will happen in the future. It is on the last day. In other words, at the end of this age, that the time when this age, when life as we know it in this world will come to an end on the last day, and the the coming age, the age of glory, the eternal age, will begin. And so this is something future for us. And of course, we know that that's when Jesus will come back. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23, that just as Christ himself rose from the dead at his time, so also Christ's people will be raised from the dead, Paul says, at his coming. Okay, so that's the when of the resurrection from the dead. When Jesus Christ comes back, he will as part of the glorious works that he does when he returns, he will raise the dead back to life. Now, dear ones, this this teaches us that we should be setting our hopes on that future day. We should be setting our hopes on the day of the future resurrection when Jesus comes back, but we shouldn't be setting our hopes on today. We shouldn't be giving our hearts and and allowing our our fears and our desires to be focused upon what's going to be happening, say, tomorrow or next week or, or even this year or, frankly, even 10 years from now. Because the great and most significant event is not any of that. The greatest event of our lives will be when Jesus comes back. It'll be the last day. It'll be when he raises the dead back to life again. And that's what we should be focused on. That's what our concern should be. That should be the focal point of our lives. Sad to say, oftentimes we are a very present-oriented people, aren't we? Our, Our minds can get so trapped in this is what I have to do today, and what am I going to do about this situation? What am I going to do about that? And, and to be sure, we need to be faithful with our present responsibilities, right? We have our lives to live. But Jesus and the, the Word of God in general teaches us over and over again that as Christians, we should be a future-oriented people. We should be setting our minds and our hearts upon things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, from which place he will come to judge the living and the dead. We should be a people whose lives and whose hopes and our fears are transcending the things of this world, so that what really touches us most deeply is not our finances, our health, our careers, You know, all these sorts of things that, again, it's not that they're unimportant, but in the grand scheme of things, how can they compare to the day when Christ returns and raises the dead? So, we need to learn from the when of the resurrection of the dead. Excuse me. Now, secondly, let's ask the text about the who. The who. Who is it? that's going to be raised from the dead. Look again at verse 28 of John chapter 5. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, etc., etc. Okay, so all who are in the tombs, all who are in the tombs, all who are in the tombs, every single person who has ever died is going to rise from the dead. Now, Jesus isn't using the word tombs here, literally memorials or monuments, in a way to restrict that. He's, that's just the common way that the Jews buried their dead at the time. You can see that with Lazarus. You can see it in Jesus' own um, death and burial. So it's not limited to people who are buried in a certain way. Jesus is saying every single person who has ever lived, everyone whose body has been laid in the ground, or however it was they died and where their body was dealt with, they will come back to life. And you might say, but does that mean, that, does that mean not just the righteous people and the, and the followers of God, but, but the, the non-Christians too, the wicked people? Yes. Yes, Jesus says, all who are in the tombs. We find the same thing taught in Acts 24, 15, where Paul says that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The wicked, too, will rise from the dead. And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 20 and verse 12, John says that he saw that one day the dead, great and small, will be standing before the throne of God. Now, great and small doesn't mean the tall people and the short people. What that means is the great important people of the world and the ordinary people like you and me. who uh, We don't get written up in the newspaper or anything like that. We're not famous. But every single person, the people that everybody's heard about, the people that nobody has heard about, everybody will rise on the last day. What that says to us is that we should view every single human being as someone who will live forever. Ever think about that? You think about what is it that's really going to last? Money is not going to last. I mean, go back in time, and if you find some money that's like 200, 300 years old, Unless a collector's interested in it, what value does it have, right? Go find old Confederate currency, right? Um, Money is is not going to last forever, and and one day those dollar bills are going to disappear into dust. Uh, Cars and boats, do they last? It seems like the minute you uh, drive away with your new vehicle, it starts to have problems. They break down, they rust, uh, they have accidents. They don't last either, do they? All these things that that we're so focused on, even our country, as much as we love our country, there will come a day when the United States of America will be in the past. It will not be here anymore, my friends. It'll be something that we talk about like the Roman Empire or something like that, some past entity. Even our nation is not going to last forever. But listen, every single person who has ever lived will exist forever. Because Jesus says, on that day, all who are in the tombs will be brought back to life. Everyone. And that should change the way that we relate to people, shouldn't it? It should cause us to say, you know what? This cashier that I'm interacting with at the grocery store, she's going to be there. She will be there on that great day. My neighbors will be there. All these people, nobody is a throwaway. Everybody is an everlasting person. And folks, you will be there too. You will be there too. So that speaks to us of the who. Who will be raised from the dead at the resurrection? It is all the dead. It is all the dead. And unless we're that last generation of believers before Jesus comes back, 
it's going to be all of us as well. Now, thirdly, we can ask the text, how? How is this going to happen? How is it possible that the resurrection of the dead will take place? Well, again, go back to the text. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now, whose voice is he talking about? Well, just go back into the previous uh, verse. It says, he is the son of man. Or a little bit earlier in verse 26, it says the father and the son. So this is the voice of Jesus Christ. It's the voice of the son of God. He's also called the son of man. When Jesus comes back, he will speak and the dead will rise. Paul teaches us the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, as Paul particularly addresses believers there. And he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. I mean, just imagine this scene. This is actually going to happen, folks. This is not a parable. This is not some spiritual allegory of how God works in our lives. This is something that is actually going to happen, and you will be there. Jesus Christ is going to come with his glory in the skies, and he will speak, and merely at the sound of his voice, the earth will open And people will rise from the dead. Not one or two or twenty or a hundred or a million, but billions of people. All the people who have ever lived in the history of the world up to that point, at the simple sound of his voice, will rise from the dead. My friends, this this is astonishing. This is incredible. We had a tiny little picture of this when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Later in Gospel of John, in John chapter 11, we we read about how um, Jesus' friend Lazarus passed away after being sick, and they buried him, and then Jesus arrived later, and um, after visiting with his Uh, Lazarus' sisters, who of course were grieving over the death of their brother, Jesus goes over to the tomb. And then he tells them to move the stone. They they sealed the opening to the tomb with the stone. He said, move the stone out of the way. And they're like, Lord, it's been four days. It's going to smell. I mean, his body is decomposing in there. But he says, move the stone. And they move the stone. And we read in John 11, 43, that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And to everyone's astonishment and joy, the man is walking out of the tomb. And he's not a zombie. He's not undead. He is alive again. He's Lazarus, and he's alive again. It's unbelievable. It's incredible, and yet it's real. Jesus raised him from the dead, His sisters gathered around him. It was a joyful occasion. Now, frankly, I think that if I had been there, I might have thought I had gone insane. I mean, you don't just talk to the dead and they do something. Have you ever asked yourself, how did Lazarus hear Jesus' command? Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. You ever tried to talk to a corpse before? I mean, go to the cemetery and just call upon the people there to do something. Of course, they're not going to do anything. They can't hear you. They're dead. But the Son of God has power in his mere command to cause the dead to hear him and to come forth. And my friends, when Jesus does this on the last day, it's not going to be just one person. 
It's going to be everyone. Abraham, David, Isaiah, Mary, your grandmother and grandpa, if they've passed away or if they have passed away at that point in time, every single person will be alive again. And it is all how? By the power of the Son of God. Bible commentator Colin Cruz says, Jesus' claim that on the last day he would call people from their graves is stupendous and beyond all human experience. And frankly, I think that when this happens, people aren't going to be standing around saying, wow, I'm alive again. They're going to be standing around saying, whoa, who is this who called me back from the dead? Who is this person that even the dead hear him and obey him and come back to life? All attention will be upon Jesus Christ. All honor will be given to him. Everyone's heart will be filled with awe and amazement at this glorious son of God who has come back and by his mere word has raised people back to life. And therefore I say to you, dear friends, that we should stand in awe of Jesus now. We don't have to wait until this happens to honor the Son of God. We should have hearts that recognize that when we are dealing with Jesus, we are dealing with a person who is an entirely different category than we are. This is the great I am. This is God in the flesh. This is the one who spoke and the worlds came into existence. And when he returns, the great I am will again speak and the dead will rise. Let us therefore fear the Lord Jesus Christ and honor him and worship him and bow down to him and trust him. If he is able to speak and raise the dead, is he not able to save us from whatever it is that might oppress us? Is he not able to save us from our sins? Is he not able to save us from all our troubles? This one for whom it is just a mere word and the dead are raised. You can trust him. He is the Almighty. Now that brings us fourthly to consider the what. The what. What is it that is actually happening here in the resurrection of the dead? Well, look again. Verse 28, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And come out. Now I ask you, come out of what? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? The tombs. Come out of the earth. Come out of the graves. Well, okay, here's another question. What is it that is in the tomb? I mean, not to be gross, but it's their dead bodies, right? And so when Jesus says they will come out, he is clearly indicating that what we are talking about here is the resurrection of the body. This is not just the the coming back of a person's spirit as some kind of a ghost. This is not just being translated into some higher level of existence, whatever that may mean. This is the resurrection of the physical body, that body that was laid in the grave and has laid there for who knows how long. That body will be reunited with the spirit that once indwelt it, and that whole person, body and spirit, will rise from the dead. You might be thinking, that, that's incredible. I, I've never heard of anything like that before. That, that just seems, I mean, a lot of people believe in some kind of afterlife, right? There are a lot of people who, who believe, not just from Christian religions, but other kinds of religions, that when people die, their spirit goes somewhere. But this idea of the resurrection of the body, this is an idea that is a biblical idea. This is not a common idea outside of those whose beliefs have been influenced by the Bible because it is, it's a strange idea. It's an amazing idea. It's a supernatural idea. 
the resurrection of the body. And yet, isn't this exactly what Christians believe about Jesus' resurrection? And let me ask you, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus' body from the dead? Do you believe that after Jesus rose, the tomb was empty? And it wasn't empty because somebody stole the body. It was empty because Jesus was alive again. And do you believe that when Jesus rose, that he didn't rise as some kind of spirit being? He rose as a flesh and bone human being with a body. Well, that's what you should believe because that's what the Gospels teach us. For example, in Luke chapter 24, verses 37 to 40, Luke 24, 37 to 40, when Jesus appeared after his resurrection to the disciples, it says, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Dear friends, Jesus rose as a physical embodied human being. He didn't rise as something else. He rose with flesh and bones. He invited people to touch him so that they could be absolutely convinced that he had risen bodily from the dead. And therefore, Christians, why should we find it strange or incredible that God would raise the dead in their bodies? It is the Christian faith, the resurrection of the flesh, as the old copies of the Apostles' Creed said, is the ancient faith of the church. Oh, but somebody might say, ah, that's just impossible. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, what, what about, say, somebody who was on ground zero at Hiroshima when the atomic bomb blew off, right? And uh, their bodies just vaporized in an instant. How's he going to be raised from the dead? Well, folks, if it was up to me to raise that person from the dead, we would have a problem here, Right? And if it was up to you, if it was up to a team of the best scientists in the world, we would still have a problem. But let me ask you again, how is it that people will be raised from the dead, according to Jesus? He says it's going to happen by his power. It's not ours. And so, do we really believe that God is omniscient? In other words, that he knows everything. Everything about everything. If we believe that, why would it be hard for us to believe that God is able to locate as much as he needs from what happened to that person's body and raise him from the dead? And do we believe that God is omnipotent? That is, he is all-powerful. He is able to do anything that power can do that is consistent with his nature and character. If we do, then why would we stumble or doubt that God can raise the dead. Now, the Puritan Stephen Charnock said, not the least atom of the dust of our bodies can escape his knowledge. He that questions this revealed truth of the resurrection of the body must question God's omniscience as well as his omnipotence and power. And therefore, dear friends, when if someone were to challenge us on our faith in the resurrection of the dead or try to make it look ridiculous the way the Sadducees did when they tried to make up this story and make Jesus look foolish for believing in the resurrection of the dead, or if our own doubts come to us and try to mock and within our own minds say, you believe that? Well, we can answer those things the same way Jesus answered the Sadducees when he said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, you are wrong 
because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, the resurrection of the body, just like it teaches us, the resurrection of the dead teaches us that people will last forever, the resurrection of the body reminds us that your body and what you do with it has everlasting significance. It has everlasting significance. You see, these bodies of ours are not just temporary containers that we use and then discard. These bodies are an essential part of who we are as human beings. Let me, let me help you a little bit with that. There's a book on biblical doctrine edited by John MacArthur and Richard Mayhew, and in it they say, God created human beings as a complex unity of body and soul. In this age, physical death results in the separation of a person's body from his or her soul. But this state does not last forever. Everyone is destined for a resurrection of the body fitted for his or her eternal destiny. In other words, your body matters. And what you do with your body matters as well. Which brings us to the next point, the fifth question that we need to ask this text to draw out its meaning, and that's the question of why. Why? Why will Jesus raise the dead? And Jesus actually spends more time on that than anything else, as he talks about it in verse 29. And we'll unpack those words in a moment, but the summary of it is in the very last word there, the very last word is verse 29, which in my translation says judgment, judgment. The purpose of Jesus raising the dead is so that he can judge all mankind, every individual and send each one to his or her eternal destiny. This is what was prophesied in Daniel 12.2. In Daniel 12.2 it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Or listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Feel the weight of those words. We all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We have either served God and obeyed God with these bodies, with these hands, these feet, these eyes, this brain, or we have disobeyed him with our bodies. And the purpose of the resurrection of the dead is to either reward or punish people in those same bodies. However, even though there is one resurrection of all mankind, within that resurrection, Jesus makes a distinction here in verse 29. There are two very different kinds of resurrections, depending upon how that judgment will have its outcome. First of all, the resurrection of the dead, Jesus says, is to reward the righteous in their bodies. Notice it says, verse 29, and they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done Good. 
Uh, My friends, there's just no way around this. The Bible is so absolutely clear that judgment on the last day will be according to our works. Jesus says those who have done good. Uh, Christ says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There will be no place in God's kingdom for those who merely talk Christianity, but they do not walk Christianity. Now, this is not salvation by works. Jesus is not teaching that we will be rewarded by God on the basis of the merit of what we have done, or that God will give us eternal life because we have earned it. This is the fruit of true salvation by faith. We know that Jesus is saying that because he says that about the resurrection of the dead over in chapter 6 and verse 40. In chapter 6 and verse 40, Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So in chapter 5, Jesus says that those who have done good will be raised for eternal life. But in chapter 6, he says that those who have believed in him shall be raised for eternal life. Do you see that? So this is not contradicting contradicting salvation by faith. Instead, it is showing the fruitfulness of faith. You see, when someone trusts in Jesus Christ, what does Jesus say has happened to that person? Back in chapter 5 and verse 24. It says there, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Remember that spiritual resurrection that we talked about? So this is how it works. Someone hears the gospel. He hears the message about Jesus Christ, about how Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sinners, rose again, and the the call is sent forth, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And that person does believe. He does trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, guess what has just happened? That person has passed from death to life. They've experienced a spiritual resurrection. Now let me ask you a question. Aside from being a medical doctor, how do you tell if someone is dead or alive? It's by what they do. People who are dead don't do anything. People who are alive, they walk, they talk, they communicate, they respond to stimuli. That's how they show that they're alive. In the same way, when you have received Jesus Christ by faith, and you've received eternal life, you have life inside of yourself. How do you demonstrate that you're alive? It's by what you do. You start loving God. You start loving people. You start keeping God's commandments. You start walking in the path of spiritual growth. You connect yourself to a local church because now you're part of God's family, and you desire to be with those people. You serve others. You grow in humility. You bear fruit. And so when Jesus talks about the fact that on Judgment Day, when he raises people from the dead, and he says, those who have done good, it will be a resurrection unto life. He's saying that those good works that people have done will be the visible evidence that they were born again. It will demonstrate publicly on that day that your faith was real, that you weren't just a bunch of talk, that you really had trusted in Christ, that you do love him, 
that you have eternal life inside of you and you produce the fruit that shows it. Now, when Jesus says that these people will experience the resurrection of life, again, we're talking about the resurrection of the body here. And so what he is saying is that we will rise in bodies to whom God will grant eternal life, not just in our souls, like right now, where we have eternal life inside of us, we know the Lord, but our very bodies will have eternal life. You see, God will raise our bodies from the dead, but in the process, he will change them. And what kind of change will that be? Well, we don't know all the details, but Paul describes the transition in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and 43. In 1 Corinthians 15, he compares the resurrection to the sowing of a seed which then springs up and produces a plant. And he says, look, everybody knows that the plant that's produced isn't exactly the same as that seed. It's something better, something more wonderful. And listen to how he describes it in verses 42 to 43. He says, what is sown, okay, so here he's talking about the the body in death, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. In other words, when Jesus raises up the bodies of his people, he will raise us up immortal. Our bodies will never die again. Paul says, what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Our bodies right now, they're they're embarrassing things about them. Even Even when we're young, And as we get older, I hate to break it to you, young people, it doesn't get any better. And when we we grow sick, and then when we die, it's horrible. Our bodies become objects of of horror. They need to be preserved or, or they decay. That's why we bury them. Our bodies are sown in dishonor. But folks, when Jesus raises us from the dead, our bodies will shine with glory. There will be nothing dishonorable or ugly or shameful about our bodies again. In fact, Jesus even says in um, Matthew chapter 13 that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's going to be beautiful and glorious. Our bodies will no longer have any blemishes, but instead we will be glorious, like Jesus. And and Paul goes on to say, it is sown in weakness. It is sown in weakness. Our bodies have so many weaknesses. Some of us are born with disabilities. You know, we we can't walk the way other kids can walk, or, or we can't think. Our brains don't work as well as other people's brains work, or there's something wrong with our eyes or our ears, and or for others of us, we're born fine, but, but then we're in some kind of an accident. And we never fully heal. We have some kind of disease. Or, you know what, even if it's nothing traumatic, you just start getting older. And just bending over and picking something up, you're like, oh, I can't do that anymore. There's so many things that our bodies can't do. But my friends, when Jesus comes and raises the dead, those who have done good, those who have been saved and transformed by his grace, will be raised, Paul says, sown in weakness, raised in power. Our bodies will be full of strength and competency and ability. There will be no more disability or disease or death anymore for us, my friends. We'll be free from all of that to enjoy a perfect life with a perfect God and Savior in a perfect place. Therefore, believers in Jesus Christ fear no disability or disease or death itself. I'm not saying that those things don't affect us. 
I'm not saying we should play the stoic and not cry and grieve when sad things happen and accidents and things like that. Oh, there's so much awful stuff that happens in the world today. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, right? But listen, don't be dismayed by those things. Because if you belong to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that this world can take away from your body that Jesus won't give you back tenfold. There is no scar that cannot be wiped away and glorified. There is no disability that you will have to suffer for more than this brief earthly life, and then you will be free to run and play and skip and laugh and sing and see and hear the way everyone else could, in fact, better than anybody has ever done it on earth so far. You need not fear those things if you trust in Jesus. And frankly, if you are taken hold of by if you are taken hold of by people who hate Christ, who are violent persecutors, and they say to you, deny Christ or we will cut off your hands. You can look them in the face and say, you may cut off my hands, but I will not deny Jesus Christ, and he will give me hands again. Tear this body apart. We're not masochists or something like that. We love our bodies. We cherish our bodies. But if it comes down to it, if we have to choose between Jesus Christ and this body, do what you will. Because Jesus will raise us from the dead and it will be a resurrection to life. And you will never take that away from us. My friends, this should make us exceptionally bold. And it should give us the ability to sing, even in the face of death. Because did you know that we will sing at the resurrection of the dead? Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Oh, it's good to sing together today, isn't it? It's good to sing the praises of God. It's good to praise our Savior. But what a worship service we're going to have on that day. What a worship service we're going to have when our voices will be joined by the voices of God's people through all ages. And when we sing not to an invisible Savior, one that we know only in our hearts and that we see only by faith, but we will sing to Jesus as he is there before us. And as we sing unhindered by any of the sorrows that so deeply wound us today, we will sing with hearts that overflow with joy and happiness because there is our Savior, there is the one that we've been waiting for, and we have finally received the full and complete healing that his salvation has been promised to us in body and soul. Oh, we will sing. We will sing so we can sing today. We can sing today at the funeral. We can sing today at the graveside, even as tears pour down our cheeks. We can sing because we will rise. We can sing because today death has its moment. But one day we will crush it under our feet and we'll say, bye-bye, death. We'll never see you again. That is the victory that we have if we belong to Jesus Christ. But that's an if. Because you notice that Jesus didn't stop with that. Jesus didn't just say that when he raises people from the dead, it will be a resurrection of life. He said there are two categories of people here. And some, he said, those who have done good, it will be to the resurrection of life. But oh, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Those who have done evil, they have not loved God 
They have not served God. And my friends, don't make the mistake of thinking, well, that, those are the really bad people, right? The evildoers, you know, the criminals, the murderers, those kinds of people. Listen, this is the exact same phrase that Jesus uses in uh, John chapter 3. Or that appears there in John chapter 3, when, in verse 19 and 20, where it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Same phrase. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So you want to know who the people who do evil are? They're the people who, when they hear the gospel message, they respond with resentment. It might be hidden. They might have a smile on their face. They might sit in church year after year. But when they hear that message, when the light of Jesus shines upon their lives and starts to show them that they have done things that are against God's commandments, their hearts say, no, I don't want that. I don't want that light. And they pull away from it. They hide from the light. They want the darkness. They want to hold on to their self-righteousness. They don't want to face their sinfulness. They want to say, I'm a good person. Why must you keep talking about sin? That's, I'm not a bad person. I just don't want to follow Jesus. I'm not a bad person, though. Don't you understand? Jesus is the Son of God. It is evil to not follow him. It is evil to not bow the knee to him and say, You are Lord. I will follow you and obey your commandments. It is evil not to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Every time you hear the gospel and you say, Not yet, not now, not ready for it. You are spurning and rejecting the Son of God, and that's evil. You are an evil doer. My friends, Jesus says that the resurrection, when those come forth from the graves, those who have done evil, they will come forth to the resurrection of judgment. And this is a case in the Bible where the word judgment takes its stronger sense of condemnation. Because everybody will be judged. The Bible teaches us that. But they will come forth to be condemned. They will come forth in their bodies to be judged for their works, to be shown, no matter what they may have said, not to be true believers in Jesus Christ and followers of God's ways, and Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Is it possible that if Jesus were to come back tonight... Some people, even in this room, would be judged and hear him say, depart from me. God forbid that you should leave this room having heard about the coming resurrection and judgment and not make your peace with God. Because this is the Jesus who died on the cross to save sinners. Don't you understand? Before he comes as judge, he has already come as Savior. Before he comes to cast the wicked into hell, he came to die in the place of sinners so that they could be saved from all their sins and so that they wouldn't have to go to hell. Don't wait another day 
to make peace with God. Because if you do, it might be too late. Rest assured, my friends, we have the word of Jesus Christ on it. There will be two categories of people on that last day. Some will be raised to enjoy eternal life with God and absolute happiness. And some will be raised to suffer in the same bodies in which they defied God all their lives. May God grant that all of us on that day will be found in the first group and not in the second. Let's pray.